Good. Um, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17, we're going to look at verses 16 through 21 this morning. Um, Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. When I was in college, um, a group of, uh, well, myself and some of my college friends, we worked for a moving company there, and we would do moving jobs all over around the northwest Indiana, Indiana area. And uh, one day we decided, or it was lunchtime, so we were figuring out where we wanted to go, and we decided on uh, Chick-fil-A. And so we went to Chick-fil-A there. I think I probably just got a chicken sandwich, some waffle fries, a drink, and I'm going to say something that's probably co controversial, but I think Chick-fil-A is overrated. <laughs> I know some people disagree with that. <laughs> but uh, we had a chicken sandwich, uh, the fries, and this is just my theory, my opinion, but I, think, I don't think anyone actually likes the French fries at Chick-fil-A. I think people like the dipping sauce that you dip the, the fries in. <laughs> but um, we, we got that for, for uh, a meal, and um, I was driving. We went through the drive through and I didn't want to drive and eat, so we just ate in the parking lot there um, until we were done. And while I was eating, there were some seagulls flying around. We were right near Lake Michigan, um, and there was a bunch of them in the parking lot. And so as you do, you throw out food to the birds and see if they'll eat it, and we try to get them as close as we could to the car, and they got pretty close, um, and uh, even if I don't like their fries, those seagulls love their fries, so <laughs> they love those fries, and uh, birds like to eat scraps from off the ground. My dad told me when he was younger, um, he would go to the beach with his friends, and they would lay down and put a towel over him and some food on top of the towel, and he would lay there until a seagull landed on him, and he'd try to catch the, <laughs> the seagull with a towel. Uh, so they had a lot of fun doing that. And in Alaska, we had a lot of ravens there. Um, they were huge birds. And uh, they would walk the parking lots, uh, McDonald's, Walmart, and try to find any scrap of food they could. And uh, that was what they ate. Uh, so birds, we, I'm sure you could think of your own stories of seeing birds picking up trash or feeding birds. Um, but as we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, you might be wondering what I'm talking about that for. I want to keep that in our mind as we consider uh, this text. It'll, it'll come into play in a, in a while here. Um, but we, we'll, we'll see a word in this passage that has that idea of a bird that goes around and just collects seeds, collects the scraps. Um, but in the Apostle Paul, in our text here, he's in the great city of Athens. He's left the city of Berea, and it's in Berea where the Jews were that were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They were more noble because they heard Paul preach, they heard Paul teach. They didn't just take Paul's word for, for it, though. They searched the scriptures themselves to see if what Paul was saying uh, lined up with what the scripture says. And so the Jews in Berea were called more noble than those in Thessalonica. Well, while Paul was in Berea, those Jews that had previously antagonized him in the city of Thessalonica, they left Thessalonica. They heard that Paul was in Berea. They heard that he was teaching in Berea, and they leave Thessalonica to continue to antagonize uh, the Apostle Paul in the city of Berea. And so Paul leaves the city of Berea and heads to that great city, Athens. 
And when he enters the city of Athens, he finds a city that's completely different than the city of Berea. In Berea, again, they search the scriptures uh, to see if what he was saying was true. Uh, but in Athens, you have the complete opposite. You have those who didn't search the scriptures. They searched for everything else. They searched for anything that was new, anything that was novel, anything that they hadn't heard before. Those in Athens wanted to hear it, and that's the things that they searched for and looked for. Uh, this is a city that did not know God, but it certainly knew a lot of little g gods. Athens was a city filled with idolatry. There was an ancient Greek historian, Pederonius. Uh, he famously said that it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens. Um, it's estimated there were about 30,000 gods represented in the city of Athens by idols. You would walk in the marketplace along the street. Um, you would find idols everywhere in the city of Athens, and people would worship them. There was a god for any person. There was a god for every belief, for every occasion, for every idea. Um, if you were in the city of Athens, you could find a god that would satisfy your needs and your desires and, and what you wanted to worship. Uh, and so this was not an atheistic city. It was a polytheistic city. It was a city that uh, was devoid of truth. It was absolutely filled with darkness. It was filled with lies. It was filled with idolatry. And this is the place that Paul comes to when we jump into our text this morning. And I want us to consider this thought, knowing the unknown God. Knowing the unknown God. This is going to be the first of two messages. I'm not sure when I'll preach the second um, I would like to preach it in a, in a morning service, um, but this is going to be the first of two messages. Uh, but I want us to consider this idea this morning of knowing the unknown God. And the whole reason that we're on this earth in the first place, that God has created us, that God has made us, is so that we can know Him and we can bring Him glory in our life. That's why God has made us. God wants us to know Him. And if you're saved this morning, you know God. You have a relationship with Him. And I hope you are continuing to get to know God by studying His Word, uh, meditating on His Word, applying His Word to your life. Uh, but you cannot know God until you come to God through Christ, uh, through faith in Him alone. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. If you do not come to God through Christ, you do not come to God. You must come to Christ through the Father. And Paul was dealing with a, people, with a group of people who did not know God. In other words, they did not have Christ. They did not know Christ. They knew of gods, but they did not know the one and only true God. And that's who Paul comes to preach to them about. And so I want to examine this passage and see uh, what it means for us this morning. But let's go ahead and uh, well, let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Dear God, I thank you for this day that you have given us. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example of Paul, who was faithful, Lord, to preach uh, the gospel wherever he went. And Lord, I ask that you would just help us this morning as we consider uh, this example of Paul in, at the uh, Areopagus as he preaches to the philosophers. I pray that you'd help us to consider our own hearts and attitudes this morning. For those of us that are saved here this morning and know you, I pray that we would be declaring you to those who don't. And for those who don't know you this morning, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just help us to set aside any distracting thoughts we might have. And, Lord, I pray that you would work in the service and the preaching this morning. I pray that you would help me, Lord, to be emptied of self. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be filled with your spirit. And, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as only you can this morning. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
first thing that I want us to see this morning is Paul's passion in verses 16 and 17. Paul's passion, starting at verse 16, the Bible says this, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. We see here that Paul's spirit is stirred within him when he looks and he sees the idolatry and the hearts of those who are given over to idolatry in the city of Athens. And his heart is not just stirred, it's not just an emotional reaction, it is, but he does something about it, as we'll see in a minute. But we see Paul's passion. One of, God, the, one of the great signs of God's cursing on a nation, uh, of God's judgment on a nation, is that they be wholly given over to idolatry and to sinful desires. And we see that in Romans chapter 1. Um, if you would hold your place in Acts 17, but look at Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Um, the Bible says this, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Paul was writing to the church in Rome, which is, uh, and Rome is a city much like the city of Athens, a city given over to idolatry. In, in Romans chapter 1 there, Paul writes with a presupposition that we all have a knowledge of God. We're all created knowing that there is a God. We might, there are those who believe in false gods, they believe in idols, but we're all created with this knowledge deep down, even if we don't acknowledge it, that there is a creator. There is someone who has made us. There's somebody who's placed us on this earth for a reason. Some, again, some reject that truth. Um, that's why Psalms chapter 14 calls those who say there, are no God, there is no God, calls them a fool. You're foolish if you say there is no God. Um, and so those who worship idols, those who worship false gods, they know there's a God, but they don't worship the true God. They don't worship the God revealed in Scripture. Those who worship idols don't like the fact that there is a God who made them, because that means if there's a God who made them, there's a God who they're answerable to. There's a God who can judge them. There's a God who has control over them. But they don't want to submit to that God, so what do they do? They make gods that fit their own desires. They make gods that fit their own image. They make a God that pleases them, that satisfies them, that will not condemn them because they have made them. They have made that God and crafted him with their own hands. That, and that's, why, uh, that, that's what has happened here in the city of Athens. They, they don't want to submit to God, so they make their idols. They have to satisfy that inner desire to worship. Um, I believe it was Augustine said there is a uh, God-shaped hole in, the man of heart, uh, in, in a man's heart, 
uh, and only Christ can fill that. But men try to fill that with all other sorts of things. When men reject the truth of God, they're given over to a reprobate mind to worship their own gods and do as they please. That's God's judgment. God's judgment is letting us uh, give in to our sin and, and have our false gods and worship those gods because we have rejected Him. And God's going to let us have our way and it's not going to turn out well. And that's what's happened in Rome. That's what's happened here in Athens. They're given over to idols. And to be under the idolatry here, it has the idea of being oppressed by idolatry, of being uh, slaves to idolatry. Paul saw this spiritual oppression. He sees this darkness that has taken place in the city, and his heart is stirred. Um, he doesn't condemn them. He has a passion for them. Um, he wants to see them saved. He wants to see them come to a knowledge of God. And so he preaches the gospel to them so that they can be saved, so that they can be delivered from their oppression, from their idolatry. He had a passion for the truth. He had a compassion for souls. We read how he goes to the synagogue first, as he was accustomed to do. He goes to the Jew first, as Jesus Christ commanded to do, go to the Jew first and then the Greek so he goes to the synagogue first, and he disputes daily with the Jews, and then he also goes to the marketplace, uh, the Agora. He goes there, and he disputes, he reasons with the philosophers, with the Gentiles, with, uh, with, with, these, uh, I, with these people who have all these different ideas and philosophies. As we see the example of Paul, though, I want us to ask ourselves, do we have a passion to share the truth with those in our life who are given over to idolatry? Now, we might not go downtown in Osawatomie and find an idol on every single um, uh, corner or on, every, on, all the, on the sidewalk all along the way, but nevertheless, there is idolatry in America. There is idolatry all around us. Individuals uh, worship uh, all sorts of gods. We might not carve them with our hands, uh, but the most common idol I can think of in America is the idol of self, self-worship, self-desire. Self-love, we worship every, we, we try to do everything um, based on what brings us pleasure, not what brings God glory. And that's what we're going to see. Paul dealt with the Epicureans, and that's what they believed, is whatever brings me pleasure is good for me, and whatever doesn't is not good for me. Well, God gives us some things that don't necessarily bring us pleasure in this life, but therefore are good. He allows trials in our life. He allows hardship in our life to conform us to the image of Christ. And that might not bring us pleasure, but that doesn't mean it's not good for us. Uh, but in America, we see uh, idolatry worship. We worship self all the time. We worship uh, sports. We worship um, money. We worship uh, possessions. We worship uh, idols in the sense of actors and actresses, people we look up to in the media. Idolatry is rampant. And when we see that, we need to have a heart that is stirred for that. We ought to have a heart that is stirred to preach the gospel, the truth that people need to hear so they can repent and believe and be saved and worship the one true God, the God of the scriptures. This morning, we need to have our hearts stirred for our community if we're going to see a change. But not just stirred, not just emotionally stirred up, but we need to be like Paul and actually do something about it to, uh, to walk the walk and instead of just talk the, the talk, as they say. And so... How will Osawatomi, or how will Paola, or how will um, any of the surrounding towns, how will they hear the gospel if we don't preach it, if we don't go and share it, if we don't leave these walls and tell them about Christ, the God that they do not know, so that they can know Him? We see Paul's passion. Number two, we see Paul persecuted. 
Paul persecuted. In act, uh, verse 18, if you could look there. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. We read about some philosophers of the, uh, he mentions the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans, as I mentioned, their, their, their philosophy was that pleasure was the highest aim. Uh, the chief end of man was to do anything that brings me satisfaction, to do anything that brings me pleasure. If it doesn't bring me pleasure, I'm not going to do it. Um, if it doesn't make me happy, it's bad for me, and I, I need to stay away from it. Um, well, you can see how that could turn pretty, uh, um, go pretty south pretty fast. I don't like to hit the alarm clock when it goes off. I want to keep sleeping because uh, sleeping makes me happy. But if I kept doing that, I would not get anywhere in life. Uh, but the Epicureans, they, they taught that pleasure was the highest good and chief goal of man. The Stoics are mentioned here. They're a group of individuals who taught that virtue was the highest good in life that if we would always pursue virtue, we would reach a state of peace in our life. And that sounds good. That sounds great. That we should always seek to be virtuous in our life, and we should. But you have to remember, this is a group of people who, who did not know God. They did not know God's law. They did not know God's word. And what happens when God is not the foundation of your beliefs? You are the foundation of your beliefs. You get to decide what's virtuous. You get to decide what's good and what's right. And so you end up with a group of people who... Um, based on their own sinful desires, based on their own flesh, they decide what's virtuous, and that's what they pursue instead of God. And so these are the two philosophical groups, opponents, uh, that resist Paul. And in history, the Epicureans and Stoics were opponents of each other, but they find a common enemy in the gospel uh, in Paul, and they come together to persecute Paul through mockery, through insults. They insult Paul by calling him uh, a babbler. And what is a babbler? The answer goes back to my, uh, the seagulls that I was friends with that I like to feed. Um, a babbler, uh, the Greek word there is, is a spermalagos. It translates to a seed picker. Uh, it's literally a, a small bird or a bird that would pick up seeds in the marketplace or alongside the road, and that's how it lived. That's how it got its um, food. I think about a crow that eats the scraps at McDonald's that people drop on the ground. This metaphor was applied to those who would enter the marketplaces, the uh, Agora in Athens, and they would hear ideas and philosophies that uh, people were teaching, and they would take bits and pieces from all of these different ideas, come up with their own thing, and then uh, regurgitate that to anyone who would listen to try to make a living off of uh, the ideas of others. In other words, it's plagiarizing the ideas of others. Uh, that's what a babbler is. And they're accusing Paul of being a babbler, somebody who's just regurgitating something he heard from somebody else and doesn't actually believe it himself. And so they call him a babbler. They're mocking him. They're accusing him of, of being lazy, of being unintelligent, of being a thief of the words of others. But this accusation can be further, further from the truth. This was a message that Christ gave him. Uh, the creator of the universe gave it to Paul and told him to deliver. And that's what Paul is doing. We're told by Christ that persecution is to be expected for the believer. We should expect persecution in this life as we live for the Lord. We don't want it, but it's coming. As we decide to live for Christ and 
obey him in this world will be mocked, will be ridiculed. And that's what's happening with Paul. The world does not, uh, not like it when you confront them with the fact that there is a God, they have sinned, and they're answerable to God for their sin. The world does not like to hear that, but it needs to hear that. And that's what Paul is preaching. Um, we need to be reminded this morning that the Word of God that we have been given to deliver to this world is not scraps that we pick up off the ground that we heard somewhere and we're delivering to the world. We have been given the Word of God by God Himself and told to go into the world and preach it. We're not seed pickers, we're seed sowers. We go out into the world and sow the seed of God's Word and we deliver that truth and that's the truth that the world needs to hear so they can be saved. But how will the world hear if we don't go out and deliver that message? And tell them how they can be saved. So we need to be reminded and encouraged this morning that as we preach the gospel, it's not some idea that we heard somewhere from the trash. It's not some scraps of men that they left behind. It is the word of God. We have God's word. And he wants us to deliver it to the world so that they can be saved. So Paul persecuted. Number three, we see Paul probed. Paul was probed in this passage. Look at verses 19 through 21. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Word starts to spread about this strange preacher in the city of Athens who has come and he's teaching something they've never heard before. Uh, they've never heard about this uh, Jesus. They've never heard about this uh, resurrection from the dead. This is the first time that the gospel reaches this pagan city. And we're told that some of the philosophers, they, in verse 19, they took him. Um, the idea of taking him, it literally has the idea they grabbed him and they took him to the Areopagus. They, they, they weren't kindly leading him, they were dragging him uh, so that, that he could explain what he was teaching to them. They're, they're taking him to, to make his case, to make his spiel, so to speak. Areopagus, it literally means the hill of Ares. Uh, the Latin translation is Mars Hill. Uh, Ares was the Greek god of war. The Areopagus was the place on the Acropolis in Athens. The Acropolis was the highest point in the city of Athens, still there today. And the Acropolis is where the temple to Athena was at. And just below the temple of Athena was a rocky outcrop, uh, a hilly, rocky outcropping. Um, it was uh, on the side of a hill. And this is the Areopagus. It was a place where philosophers would meet to discuss their ideas. It was also a place where um, individuals were, were judged for certain crimes, including religious crimes. Uh, if you know anything about history, this is where Socrates was judged for his ideas before the philosophers. And now Paul is being judged. He's being examined at the Areopagus. Paul is seized. He's brought to this location, and he's told to give his spiel. Um, they were not necessarily opposed to new ideas in Athens. Again, they're, they're always wanting to hear something new. They're wanting to hear some new ideas, some new religion, some new philosophy. So they're, they're not necessarily opposed to new ideas or gods, but they want to make sure they know what's being taught in the city of Athens, these philosophers. They're gatekeepers of ideas, if you will. And so they, we shouldn't see this necessarily as being hostile towards Paul, but they're being 
busy bodies of information. They want to control the information that's happening in Athens, and they want to know what he's preaching, and they want to know something new. It says here in verse 21, this is your memory verse, by the way, um, that they spent their time sitting around, and all they did was waiting to hear something new. They wanted to listen to some new idea. When I was in Alaska in high school, I worked at McDonald's, and there was a group of older men that would always come in almost every morning. They'd sit at the same table, get a coffee each. Uh, one individual actually brought uh, his wife one day, and she came up to the counter. And if you know the small coffees at McDonald's, they're not very big. And she, I'm not kidding, she asked for six cream and six sugar <laughs> in uh, the McDonald's coffee. And it was about half of cream and sugar, but that's what she wanted. So I gave it to her. But anyways, they would come into McDonald's and, uh, for hours, uh, maybe five, six hours. They would sit there and talk about the news, talk about what's happening in the city, talk about what's happening in the country, talk about what's happening at the school, talk about what's happening in their life for their grandkids. Uh, just talking about the news, everything that was happening in their life. That's not necessarily wrong, of course, but when we hear that they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing, that's the scene we should imagine. A bunch of old men in the city who sit around and they're listening and talking about the new news. What's going on? What's happening? What are the new ideas? Um, they had a constant urge to hear some new thing just for hearing's sake. It was their form of entertainment. It was their form of, uh, of, of pleasure. And so they bring Paul to this place to declare his teaching to them, his doctrine. Not because they wanted to really know and believe what he was teaching. They just wanted to hear some new thing. They were being busybodies of, of information. They wanted to be entertained. They wanted to be entertained. It sounds like a lot like America today. We're constantly inundated with new information every day. We live in an information overload culture. Um, we always have to be hearing something new. We always have to be entertained. We always have to be watching something that distracts us from the more important things in life. It's why we all can sit on uh, TikTok or we can sit on YouTube or we can sit on Facebook and watch the reels. And I'm guilty of this as well. It's really easy to scroll for an hour, two hours. It's easy to sit there and watch the newest video, the, the, the newest uh, cat video where the cat is um, doing something crazy and makes you laugh. We like that. We like to be entertained. We like to hear new ideas. We like to hear new thoughts. We like to hear new philosophies. You can go on YouTube. You can go on Facebook. You can go on any of these platforms, and you can find somebody who will teach something that makes you happy, that you agree with, that you think is great. Uh, we live in a, in a society that wants to be entertained, that wants new information, that wants new ideas. These men at Athens didn't need something new, though. And in our own life, we don't need something new all the time. We need to get back to something old, the Word of God. If, when it comes to what we believe, when it comes to what's really going to bring us joy in this life, when it comes to what's going to bring us satisfaction in this life, when it comes to what's going to bring us direction in this life, or wisdom in this life, uh, or encouragement in this life. We don't need something new from the world, some new idea, philosophy, or video. We need to get back to the Word of God for those things. Uh, Travis mentioned this morning in Sunday school, it's um, of those who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I was going to read it. I'm not going to read it, but you can find it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, but in verse 7, it talks about those who are ever learning, always learning, Always getting something new. 
always being entertained. You can find anything you want on the internet that will satisfy your intellectual curiosity. We live in those times today. As believers, though, we need to be careful that we're not so fixated on trying to learn or find something new that we neglect um, this book right here. That's old, but it's filled with truth, and it's the only truth we really need uh, for this life. It is the gospel and the word of God that will bring us joy, true joy in this life. It's the gospel and the word of God that will bring us direction in this life. You want direction? You need help making a decision? Get into the word of God. Um, it is the gospel and the word of God that will bring us peace in this life. This world offers all sorts of things that promise peace. Pills, uh, philosophies, uh, ideas, programs. But it's truly the word of God and the gospel that brings lasting peace in this life. If it is the gospel and the word of God that bring us true comfort in this life. It is the gospel and the word of God that will bring us certainty and confidence in this life as we live for the Lord. It is the gospel and the word of God that bring us true spiritual and emotional satisfaction in this life. Maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself looking all over the place to find truth, to find comfort. You want peace in this life. You want direction in this life. And so you turn on YouTube or you look on Facebook or you look to the news or uh, TV or radio and you're looking to all these places for peace in this life, for comfort, for direction, for wisdom, for what I need to do. But you never open up the Bible. You never open up the Word of God to see what God has for you. You're going to end up like those in Athens, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You, you're looking for peace in this life, but you never pick up the scripture. You never believe the gospel. Those who have never believed the gospel have never been saved, who have never looked to Christ for salvation. Um, this world offers all sorts of things that bring, bring peace and joy, but without knowing Christ, without salvation, you simply do not know God. There are those who say they know God, but they do not believe in Christ. They, they, they have not surrendered to him and put their faith in him. They might say they know God, but they do not know God. They're like those in Athens. They have idols. They have uh, things they believe in, but they don't believe in God and His Word. You might believe in God, but believing in God is not knowing God. Did you know the devils believe in God? The devils believe God is real. Uh, they're not saved. They're, uh, they're, gonna, they're destined for hell. The unsaved Athenians believed in God, though they believed in gods. Uh, they weren't atheists, though. Uh, but they did not believe, they did not know God. Believing in God is not knowing God. And Paul is preaching to these in, a, in Athens that they might not believe God in God, but that they might know God. He's preaching to them about the unknown God. That's what we'll look at the next time I, uh, as we continue in this passage. But he preaches to them about how they can know the unknown God. In Athens, they had an idol. Again, they had all of these idols, but they had one idol to the unknown God. Just in case we forgot one, this one will cover the one we forgot. Paul preaches to them about the God they do not know. And this morning, if you do not know God, uh, then you do not have salvation. You will not have peace. You will not have wisdom, direction, comfort, guidance in this life. You will not, uh, you will not be with Christ in, in eternity. You need to know God. This world's ideas and philosophies, they change. They're built on shifting sand. That's why people always want to hear something new. Because this world only offers temporary satisfaction. The world's ideas only offer temporary joy, temporary peace. 
and then they need to find something new until that fades away, and then they need something new, and then that fades away. But the Word of God uh, does not fade away. Salvation uh, gives us lasting joy that we can never lose. And so Paul showed these men their great need. They didn't need a knowledge of something new from men. They needed a knowledge of God. They needed to know the unknown God. My question for you this morning is, do you know God? I didn't ask if you know about God. I asked if you know Him. Is He real to you? Do you have a relationship with God? God is not an idol that we make with our hands who can't speak, who can't move, who can't talk. No, God has made us. And He's made us to be able to talk with Him. God has made us to know Him and to glorify Him with our life. Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Him? If you do not know God this morning, you can know God. You can have a relationship with the Creator through Christ, through faith in Him alone. You can know the one who made you. You can know the one who gave his son to die for you on the cross, to forgive you and pardon you of your sins. You can know the one who has a plan for your life, who has a, a purpose for your life, a calling for your life. You can know him through Christ. And I would encourage you to settle that before it's too late. For those of us this morning who are saved, we do know Christ. We do know God. We have a relationship with him. We talk with him. Do we continue to know our God? Do we continue to talk with God? How do we talk with God? We talk with God through prayer. And how does God talk to us? He talks to us through His Word. He's revealed Himself to us through His Word. Do we talk to God? Does He talk to us? Do we get to know God? If you're saved this morning, God wants to know us more. He wants us to grow in that relationship. That's called sanctification. Uh, he wants to conform us into the image of Christ. But if we're not walking with the Lord, if we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not spending time in His Word, He can't correct us, He can't guide us, He can't lead us because we're not listening to Him. We need to listen to God if we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, if we want to grow in our relationship with Him. God does not have to be unknown to you this morning. You might be here and you don't know Him. You can know Him this morning. And for those of us who do know Him, we need to continue to grow in that knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day that you've given us, and I thank